Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All righty. We left off in 14.7. <coughs> now, we finished last week in 14.6, which I identified, I believe, is the second most important verse in the Bible uh, because it is clear, Right? It, there's no no question, no no misunderstanding here. There's you know we don't have to break into small groups and discuss this. It is abundantly clear this is God's plan and design. And wait and see what Jesus does now as we get into uh, chapter 16. Uh, he's going to say this is eternal life. Colon. Or you're just on the edge of your seat now to figure out what this is, right? So I mean he makes it clear. That's what he's doing with these disciples now here at the Last Supper. And in verse 7, that what, what he does, notice how important knowledge is. If you really knew me, knowledge, you would know knowledge, my father as well. From now on you do know him, knowledge, <laughs> and have seen him. Three, three times uses knowledge in, in, in the same verse. So, I mean, it, it's about the knowledge, you see. It's not about speculation. It's not about, well, I think maybe it's this. Knowledge is knowledge. I know this for a fact. I know that Jesus died on the cross for me and my sins and for the sins of the whole world. Fact. Doesn't matter how you, how you feel about that, because that's going to change day after day. But you know it as a fact. Jesus is very concerned with knowledge. Now, we're moving along really well. Remember uh, back in verse 5, Thomas interrupted and, and says, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Uh, kind of a dumb question. Why didn't he ask, well, where are you going? Right? Well, we're going to get, get, get into that in chapter 16 as well. <coughs> now, Philip interrupts. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now, again, yeah, still not getting it. I mean, how many times has Jesus identified himself as sent from the Father and returning to the Father? He said multiple times, when you see me, you see the Father. And that's what he's going to have to do here again. I mean, Jesus has made it clear at least a hundred times that Jesus and the Father are one. And Philip seems even more confused than Thomas is. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. But somehow Philip doesn't get this. So in verse 9, then Jesus makes it abundantly clear. See Jesus, see the Father. You see it? Again, clarity. No question, no misunderstanding here. It is just abundantly, abundantly clear. <coughs> Verses 12, 12 to 14. Again, starting with an amen, about the hundredth one we've come across. I tell you the truth. So Jesus promises his followers great power, even able to do miracles like Jesus did. Now, here's how difficult that is. We just have to ask for this power, and it will be given to us. Whew. Broke a sweat there. Yeah, I, that's what he says. So it's not like you, you have to go through all these uh, exercises and steps and jump through all these hoops to achieve this. You just ask in his name and you get it. That's it. 
That's how, how free this, this grace is and how available it is and how much he wants us to have it. What makes it greater than what Jesus did is that regular folks like us can do the great things Jesus did. So relatively, in comparison, I mean, Jesus is God doing these things. Now he says, you will do these things as well, maybe even greater things, because we, we don't have the capability to, we are not God. But when we ask in the name of Jesus to do it, we get the capability of doing it, which then means, I guess, essentially, that we are greater. We can do greater things, because the, the difference between sinners doing it, forgiven sinners doing it, and, and God doing it is, is so great. So it comparatively makes it look like we are, are doing something greater. So then in the whole section of uh, verses 15 to 21, <coughs> an incredible promise that he will continue to make to us. He promises that we will not be alone. Even though Jesus is leaving, because the promise is the incredible power of the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, specifically described here as the spirit of truth. The spirit, the spirit of truth, Jesus calls the counselor. You see it? Now, in the original language, that word counselor means someone who, who comes alongside you. And in particular, that, that term was used in a legal setting. The defense lawyer comes and stands beside you to defend you. That's what this counselor, the role of this counselor, does, the Holy Spirit. So over the next few chapters, John is going to use the word counselor four more times to describe the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, John uses the same word in his first letter to describe Jesus. So again, yeah, when we start... Breaking apart the, the Trinity. It's whatever you do, don't separate to the point of thinking they are distinct characters. And there is no interplay between the three of them. So the same word John, and John's writing both the letter and the gospel, the same word he uses to describe the Holy Spirit, he also uses to describe the work of Jesus. So there's much more you know, interplay between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit than there is separation. In fact, that's going to become even more clear again in chapter 16. He's going to expand that even more. Basically, what the, what the Father does, the Son does, what the Son does, the Holy Spirit does. And you know, the Holy Spirit then is the one who, who directly interacts with us. But then again, Jesus does also and the Father does also. So it's, we have to be real clear in how we, we, we understand that. God is three in one. Three distinct persons but all in one. That's mind-boggling. So, again, you know, the work of one leads to the work of the other. <coughs> now, uh, if you have a King James version of the Bible, uh, what I just said was described as the counselor. In the King James Bible, it, it, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, which is a poor translation. The, the word in the original language does not mean comforter. It means more a counselor or you know, someone who comes alongside. So this counselor is not what we commonly think of today as a therapist. You're not going to you know, make an appointment for a 50-minute appointment with a, a counselor to say how much you, know, you didn't go along with your mother. right? So it, it's, this counselor is different. It's not a therapist. The counselor is the very presence of God walking alongside us. And that's the image Jesus is trying to create. 
that you're not alone. So this counselor then walking alongside us offers a great deal of direction and purpose if we're willing to listen. So my Bible has counselor, the uh, King James uses comforter, uh, but the, any of your Bibles have the word advocate? That's probably the best. Yeah, best yeah, I mean, it gives the best sense in, in English. A counselor we think of as a therapist, but an advocate is, has more of that, that legal defense attorney thought to it, right? I, I like the word advocate the best. <coughs> now, it's interesting that Jesus says that we get, do you see the word another? Another counselor or another advocate? Now, watch this. Again, the interplay between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 2, John has already identified Jesus as the advocate, as the counselor. <laughs> but now he's saying you get another counselor. Because what, what, what Jesus is explaining is I am here physically with you. I am soon not to be physically with you, so I will send another counselor, you see? So we've already had the Holy Spirit, but it's going to be in another, in another you know, form of power. An expanded power. I'm going to send this, this great power to you. I am here now. I'm leaving. But something else great will be coming to you. An expanded dimension of the Holy Spirit. All I know is that there's only one truth. And the truth is what comes to us by the Spirit. Now, in verse 17, Jesus emphasizes that we know this stuff. See, knowledge again. Because we have the Spirit in us. It is simply a matter of, as Jesus says in verse 17, we must accept the Spirit. You have it, you just have to accept it. You accept that leadership, you, expect, you accept that uh, truth shared with us, and you decide that this is what I will do. Then by the time you get to verse 21, Jesus returns to the love theme. Now the sign of our love is that we obey what Jesus has commanded, what he's taught us. And that we find again in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples and teach them to obey what I have taught you. So we don't have to make anything up. We don't have to you know, start from scratch. We have been given everything we need, and the Holy Spirit is with us, walking alongside us to lead us on that path. Again, if we are willing to accept it. So the bottom line is, our the sign that we have truly accepted the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what Christ has done for us on the cross and through the resurrection is that we choose to be loving servants. That's the sign. So it's not an intellectual process as much as it is, I, yes, I, I accept it intellectually, but now I choose to live it. I will apply this teaching to my life. I will obey the teaching, in other words. Now, verse 22, you need a scorecard here because we have two Judases around the table. Thanks a lot. So this is Judas number two. We'll call him good Judas. He steps in and is trying to understand that since all this is so awesome, why are they, the disciples, the only ones to receive it? Why hasn't Jesus made this known to the whole world? 
Well, it's a good question. That's maybe the only question asked here at the Last Supper that shows at least somebody's getting something. <laughs> right? Well, that's really, when you look at that, that's, that's a pretty good question. I mean, it's, it's a logical thought at that point. And verses 23 and 24, that Jesus gives the answer then. Good question, Judas. Now let me give you the answer. He explains that the physical Jesus does not have to be seen by the entire world. Instead, we all have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals this truth. But again, the issue is if we will accept it or not. So that's, I believe, you know, the purest definition of faith. Faith is in what we don't see. So if you are now, you know, Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. If you're saying, well, I'm not going to believe till I see Jesus. You're going to be waiting a long time. You know, Jesus isn't playing that game with us. Right? You guys have got to see me, but it's not necessary for the whole world to see me. They have me within them, the Holy Spirit, that will lead them to come to believe in me. If they will accept it. So that's, that's the universal. So we are actually in a position to claim a greater faith than even the disciples. They saw Jesus. They have the proof. They have the evidence. They saw the miracles. They heard him teach. They, all of that. We didn't. But we get to believe by faith today. So actually, we're further ahead than, than they were. Because obviously, having seen Jesus and heard him didn't help them too much. After three years, they still don't get it, right? So we get to look at this very, you know, just logically now and say, yes, that, that makes sense and I believe that. And I will live my life according to this. <coughs> Verse 25. Another case in one of those passages that makes it sound like the Holy Spirit is being held back for a certain time. But again, what is being held back is the full power of the Holy Spirit. Power, wisdom, and insight have always been available. I mean, you see it throughout all the Old Testament. But after Pentecost, all that is increased. You have it, now we're just going to ramp it up. So this is similar to what Jesus promises in verses 12 to 14. You, you could take it as no one ever did anything great and prayers were, were, were never answered until after Jesus was resurrected. That's kind of what it sounds like. If you, if you just read the words on the page, the Holy Spirit has never done anything and therefore no prayers were ever heard until Jesus resurrects. Now, do you believe that? Right? It's obvious, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, that prayers were being heard. So, Again, yeah, that has always been the case. The Holy Spirit has always been. It's just now after, after Pentecost, the power is increased. So we're talking not about the absence or the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about the absence or presence of miracles. We're not talking about the absence or presence of prayers. We're talking about the intensity of each. Jesus is promising will be greatly increased. So a greater intensity of Holy Spirit, a greater intensity of miracles, a greater intensity of prayer. Both great deeds and answers prayers glorify the Father because it's Jesus at work in us accomplishing his will. Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together. Jesus' job here is to glorify the Father by doing what the Father sent him to do. Verse 27, 
Again, Jesus tells us not to be troubled about these things. So in other words, yeah, I know this is kind of a difficult concept. Just hang in there, you'll get it, right? Come Pentecost, another, another six, seven weeks, you're going you're gonna to understand this. So right now Jesus is saying, don't be troubled. Instead, have faith, right? You don't see the answer yet. But I want you to believe it will happen. That's why he keeps telling them. Yeah, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you will believe. <clears throat> In other words, Jesus has all this under control. The plan of God is set and there's not going to be any issues here. It's just fine. So trust in that. Have faith in that. Verse 28. The last part of verse 28 causes all kinds of problems. For the Father is greater than I. Now, if he just took that at face value, it sounds like, at best, Jesus is a lesser God. At worst, Jesus is not God at all. But I can't accept that conclusion. It makes no sense when you take all of what Scripture says in totality. So that doesn't fit into what we understand about, about God and the relationship with, with Jesus. For me, this is more like the relationship between the sun and a ray of sun. Sun's out right now. Let's all go outside and see what this looks like. Right? You see the sun, but you see the effect of the sun as well. If you think of God as the sun and Jesus as the ray of sun sent from the original source to have the effect of the Father of the sun, then that makes sense. It is, you know, the sunbeam is still the sun, is a part of the sun, right? Sent from the sun. That's what Jesus is saying. So in that sense, yes, the, the sun is greater than the sunbeam. The ray of sun is still has its origin though in the sun. So the one sent cannot be greater than the, the, the sender. Jesus says that. The, the, the slave is not greater than the master, right? The slave works for the master, does everything the master says, but is not greater than the master. So it's just a, it's a fine hair of relationship. But Jesus is God. John has been making that point all along. <clears throat> so try this. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this twice to make sure it makes sense. The, the explanation I like best is this. Jesus is subordinate to the Father in person, but not in essence. Pause. <laughs> Jesus is subordinate to the Father in person, but not in essence. So coming in human form, yes, there is a degree of separation, the one, the sender and the sent. But the one sent is still God. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I am sending the Holy Spirit, you see. So there's just this constant exchange of, of, uh, uh, of sending. All I know is that John has made the point a thousand times that Jesus is God. Jesus is not junior God. He's not, you know, God wannabe. Jesus is God. 
So the Father being greater simply means that the Father is the sender and Jesus is the sent. Anything you'd like to say about that? Yeah. <laughs> the good news is we will fully understand this when we get to heaven. <laughs> I'm not sure it's worth losing sleep over now. If you can get it, fine. If not, ah. It's a, it's a minor point at, the, at, at this juncture. So, really. But any thoughts, questions on, on that issue? Back on verse 17. <coughs> what does your verse 17 read? The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And will be in you. When he leaves... Again, the greater power at Pentecost. So I'm leaving, but this is coming. So you already have it. That's, you know, Jesus already said you're all clean. In other words, you know, the, the Spirit has already, you, you've accepted, even though you don't fully understand everything that's going on, matter of fact, you probably only get 10% of it, you, you're on the road to do that, and I know that here within a couple of weeks you're going to get it. So he declares them clean now. So again, you know, it, it's not, in that sense, it's not impingent upon the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. You know, Jesus declares this is already accomplished. Again, chapter 16, he's going he's gonna to say precisely that. This is already done. The victory is won at the Last Supper. Wait, you haven't done all the rest of it yet. <laughs> but the victory is already won. Because this is the plan of God. I know what's going to happen. So that's a lot like, um, you read in Revelation, you know, Satan and, and all of evil is going to be cast into the lake of fire. So what that means is that from now until then, there is nothing the devil can do to change that. He's trying to change it, but nothing will change that. It is set in stone that victory, that you know, that battle has already been won. So I mean, it, it's kind of hard to think of it that way because we're here and now, but you know, God is declaring, I know the future and I know what's going to happen. This is exactly what's going to happen. Therefore, I'll tell you now so that you can have faith in that. And when it happens, then you will say, yep, that was exactly right. Pondering, speculating? Well, yeah, I have, I have a footnote <coughs> at the bottom. It says some early manuscript says is instead of will be. Ah. It says is. So that's one of those verb tenses that, that yeah. yeah. But again, you know, this, you know, what we have today is, is based on the most current, what we believe to be the oldest translation. Well, the oldest copy of the Bible. Yeah. So, perhaps the third or fourth copy then switched the, the tense of the verse. How easy that is? As you, I mean, really, if I told you to go rewrite all this, could you do it perfectly? I mean, and they're doing it with like, you know, feathers and... <laughs> they don't have spell check or anything, right? I mean, you know, when, when I type something in, it actually highlights, you know, if there's a verb, verb tense that's incorrect or, I mean, it, it, it tells you all that. They didn't have none of that. So, yeah, there's... There's some issues at, 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 at certain points, but... The following sentence says, I will come to you. So that kind of follows up with that, right? Well, that's will more be. referring to the resurrection. Okay. Right, I'm leaving you now, but I will come to you on Sunday. Because, you know, chapter 16, 15, 16, he's going to say, you know, this is going to happen very soon. Well, we know it to be three days. They didn't, but yeah. So it's, okay. yeah, it's all, all about the, the, the timing. 
Verse 29. Please. Okay, Jesus is saying once he leaves them, the Holy Spirit will be with them, like taking that place of him being there, correct? Am I understanding that correctly? But you're saying the Holy Spirit was back in the Old Testament before. That's really confusing. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always been. Right, okay. So, if it's always been and you've always had it, then you can't get it. <laughs> right? So again, what he's talking about is you have, you have the Holy Spirit. It's just after I leave and on Pentecost, then that, that is going to change. It's going to increase. You know, much like you know, when Jesus described the, the New Covenant. You know, everything's everything I've already said is 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 the same. It doesn't that doesn't change. What changes is just a greater understanding of this. That now with the Holy Spirit leading us, with, with Jesus showing us the, the, the truth as never been seen before, now that's what changes. The truth doesn't change. It's just our understanding of it changes to the point that we can really, really, really un- understand this. That help a little bit. Yeah, it's it, it's a matter of degree. So it, I, I, again, it, it's not it's not whether we had it or don't have it. We've always had it. It's just you have more of it. So it's like uh, the buffet line. Got a hundred different items there. You can choose just to pick one, but you can choose to pick all of it. So now we, we have the buffet line of God, and we can really pot our plates up about that high and just totally, totally pig out. Yeah, I've always had it, but it was semi-limited, I guess you could say. Sort of like the Holy Spirit's been an ember in us all the time, and at Pentecost a big wind came along and burst it into a great big flame. Well, in fact, that's exactly right. That's what happened. Yeah. The wind came through in a closed room, blew in a closed, closed room. <coughs> so... It, again, it, it's a matter of degree or intensity. Now, watch this. I, I apologize up front, this will confuse you further, but I have to say it. Back in the Old Testament, they had the same Holy Spirit we have today. So what, 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 what changed in terms of the intensity, what allowed the intensity to increase, I just thought of this. You're going to want to write this down. Oh, baby, this is, this is the most genius thing you'll hear all day. What changed is they operated under the law. Remember all our discussion of the law in Hebrews and other books of the Bible? The law squelched the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, law is gone. With the law gone, now everything is open. So I guess what I'm saying is that the same power that, that we get on Pentecost was in fact available to them back then, but they, they set up a system of mechanics all around religion, around the Holy Spirit, and, all, and trapped it, right? God's in a, in, in a box in the Holy of Holies. We've trapped him, right? So what they thought was the best thing to do was to take what God said and make a whole bunch of rules and regulations, which essentially... Yeah, stops the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the wind. Can you control the wind? Can you trap the wind? So they tried to do that. And they did that fairly effectively. 
But now, remember, as the second Jesus dies, the, the, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. That trapped God in, in, in that room, he's now free. You see? Ooh. Ooh. I'm glad that's right. I've never thought of that before. But yeah. So yeah, but so what that means is that even today we still have the same power. We all have the same power right Everybody on earth has it. But we can choose to trap it, confine it. We can choose to, as Jesus you know, was gonna say, you know, here real soon to us in, in the very next chapter. You know, the vine and the branches. You can choose to cut yourself off from it. So you can choose to limit it. You can choose to kill it all together, but that's your choice. The, the available power is still there for you. What you do with it is between you and God. And that is what determines where we spend eternity. Because again, the definition is the unforgivable sin is denying the Holy Spirit. Denying this power, this wisdom, this insight available to you if you deny that, if you reject that, then you're out. So, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I've been to seminary. But I don't have more of the Holy Spirit than any of you. And you don't have any more than me. We all have the same, the same original source. God in us. Christ in us. The advocate to lead us and guide us if we will take advantage of that. But we can push that aside. We can go our own way. We can, we can use our minds and our science to say, well, I'm so smart, I can figure this out on my own. I don't need your Holy Spirit. But again, that's the unforgivable sin. Is that any more clear? Sure. <laughs> I love you, Lisa. <laughs> No, I, I understand. Yeah, it's but but I get take, you've got to take all the entire Bible into account. So if you just want to lift one of these verses out when it talks about you know it sounds like it's a future event, well then that disputes everything else. And if you do that, then why believe anything in the Bible? Because then it makes no sense at all. It's one or the other. It can't be both. But this is how you make it both. Because obviously the evidence is the Holy Spirit has always been. But they, 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 they got the law, and they went crazy with the law. I mean, isn't what Jesus, that's his controversy with the Pharisees. They're the law keepers. That's why he doesn't get along with them. Because you took this perfect thing of God. What God gave you was perfect. Gave you the opportunity to be fully engaged in the spirit. But you came up with the physical, mechanical you know, system of controlling the religion, and therefore the people, that actually took them away from God. That, that shut down the power of the Holy Spirit. But now on Pentecost, we're, we're throwing that law out that you created, and now we're going to operate on a personal basis. So, boom, the axe comes down at that point, and now the choice is much more clear than it was back in Old Testament times. So if you accept Jesus into your heart, you're actually saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Precisely, because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, yes. So, yeah. So... And interesting, though, we're going to see in chapter 16, Jesus specifies, you know, in our prayers, now that should be done in his name. So we pray directly to Jesus, but then there's a thought as well that, that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the prayer to Jesus. I mean, it's just, it's weird. You know, there's a separation, yet 
a uniform <laughs> unity there that, you know, the three are one, and yet one helps the other, who helps the other, who helps the other, and so it's a, it's a chicken and egg thing. We don't, you know, who came first? I don't know. You know the rabbit Costello, I'm not sure <laughs> who's on third. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that, that's how it works, yes. So working with one means you're working with all. But particularly in terms of prayer, Jesus is clear that prayers are in his name. That's, that's the power. There, there's power in the name of Jesus. That's actually a, one of my favorite contemporary Christian songs, Colton Dixon. Right? There's power in that name. So, it, it, Because that's, that's biblical. So again, we don't have to make any of this up. We just have to understand it. That's how it works. Verse 29. In fact, Jesus says that since he is God and knows everything, he's telling the disciples what will happen so that when it does happen, they will know that he is God. So again, you know, that's not what I would call the, the classic definition of faith. They get to see all of this. We don't. So we can claim to be more faithful than the disciples because we didn't see any of this. But obviously they don't get it at this point. So they, for some reason, they had to see it. So when it happens, you'll know. And then Jesus furthers the thought by saying, what's going to happen is not the plan of the devil. Even though this looks bad, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be killed. This is the pure plan of God. Remember, he said, the hour has come. It's been similar times that we thought, uh-oh, here it comes, but the hour was not right. The time had not come. But now Jesus says, yes, now is the time for all this to fall into place. Verse 31. The very last phrase, come let us leave, creates a real mess. Because they don't leave. <laughs> I mean, Jesus got two more chapters of teaching here. So in a sense, it looks like they don't leave, but in another sense, it might be, yes, they do leave. If you skip ahead to 18.1, 18.1 says that Jesus and the disciples leave and proceed to Gethsemane. Right? So that, that's what we think is the normal pattern. They were in the upper room, stayed there, and about midnight, then go straight to Gethsemane. But here that last phrase in chapter 14 gives another option. There's travel time here. Perhaps chapter 15, 16, and 17 is Jesus' ongoing teaching as they're walking to Gethsemane. And that seems plausible because the next thing Jesus talks about after he says, let's leave, the temple was very close to where they, they were. And the temple had these vines growing up all around it. As they're walking, Jesus stops and says, look at the relationship of the vine and the branches and makes this, this imagery, this, this analogy. It makes sense. But then by, by 18.1, then, then, then they're, they're, they're in Gethsemane. So the only question is, at what point did they actually leave? And I guess I'm throwing out that it's, it's possible. 
maybe even likely, that they left at the end of chapter 14 and continued to walk and talk. I mean, they certainly wouldn't have walked in silence. They would have continued to talk. So Jesus is just pointing out some things as they walk along. Hey, look at that. You know, let me tell you about that. And just, you know, so, eh, could be. <clears throat> so that is the end of chapter 14 on a confusing note. What are the thoughts and controversies do you have in chapter 14? In verse 30 there, it says, Prince of this world. Is that the Holy Spirit? Nope, that's the devil. Prince of the world. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Glad I asked. Yes, me too. Yeah, want want that to be clear. And there, you know, he's going to refer to, to Judas in a similar fashion um, and continue to refer to Satan in a similar fashion. Yeah, so there's... Yeah, yep. Yeah. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a whole bunch of nicknames. The devil has a bunch of nicknames. Uh, it's just, yeah, you've got to get a scorecard here to keep, keep everybody straight. <coughs> but I, I guess the, the clue to that, John, is, is the, the, the non-capital P and Prince. Yeah, okay. See, when Jesus is referred to as, 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 the, as a prince, it's a capital P. So that's your, your tip-off at that point, I guess. That's an easy way to, to tell. Anything else on chapter 14? Yeah. Go. I don't know. I think I've, I've heard it before. But go back to 12. And where he, where he talks about, all you got to do is ask me and I'll give it. You'll get it if you ask. Just explain that a little bit further, if you would, please. Well, he defines it as has faith in Jesus. Which yep. again, again means, you know, to use that term, means that you don't know what the answer is, but you know I do, therefore you will come to me. Right. And you will ask. Got that. And so asking in his name, since we're asking, because the first thing we do then is, and when it comes to prayer, I think that's the, the biggest difficulty most of us have is, we go into prayer, we got our list, as if God doesn't know anything. <laughs> God, let, let me tell you what's going on today, what you need to be concerned about. And we run down the list, and you know, Aunt Martha and all, all the rest, and you know, fix all this, I'll check it with you again tomorrow. That's enough for you to do today, God. Now, that, that's, that's how we often approach it. But really, the, the model of prayer, and we, we see this so clearly in Gethsemane, is prayer is mostly listening. So my suggestion is to begin prayer just in silence. That, you know, come, come in the sense of, Lord, help me to pray what you want me to pray. To have that kind of an attitude. I mean, that's what we see Jesus doing in Gethsemane. He only has one thought, and he says the same thing three times in three hours. In other words, he speaks, vocalizes, or expresses a thought in three hours that all three of them take less than 15 seconds. So for two hours, 59 minutes, and 45 seconds, did I do the math on that, right? Yeah, Jesus is listening. And Jesus is God. <laughs> Right? So, you know, asking in the name of Jesus means that we, we first will listen to what Jesus wants. And then since we're praying what Jesus wants, 
Therefore, <coughs> that is what will be. Does that help at all? A little. Ask Linda, she'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> Linda understands all the great mysteries of the Bible. <laughs> Isn't this fun? <laughs> I pray and I say, you know, I'm not your will, Lord, but I pray this is your will. <laughs> this <word. laughs> I, I like being honest. God's got big shoulders, and uh, I mean, certainly see David, you know, who knows God really, really well, I mean, he starts yelling at God and everything else. Yeah, God doesn't smite him at that point because, yeah, that's relationship. You can, when you're really close to somebody, you can do that. So, yeah, so, I mean, just being honest. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah, and. Jesus actually comments on that. You know, the, the professional religious guy, the Pharisee, stands on a street corner and offers up this, this big prayer with lots of fancy words and all of that, you know, according to thine inestimable glory, O Lord, you know, and using all these right terms. And Jesus, that was pretty stupid. You know, it's just, you know, a programmed prayer type of thing, as opposed to the other guy who won't even lift his, his eyes to heaven when he prays, you know, Lord, forgive me for I'm a sinner. That was the prayer. And you said, that guy gets it, <laughs> right? Pray like that, with honesty. So it's not the, the, the volume of words, it's you know, the, the genuineness of your heart. That's, that's the relationship, yeah. Anything else in 14? <clears throat> 15 might be a little easier. This is kind of a, a quick chapter. Um, as we come into 15.1, there's that formula again. I am, right? I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm, you know, we've had a whole bunch of those. This now is the last one. This is the last I am statement. I am the true vine. So Jesus declares that he's the true vine, which by definition means there must be a false vine as well. What... What is a false vine? A weed. A weed? <laughs> okay. But I can look at a weed and say, I don't, I don't want any part of that. So there's, you know, the vine, he's talking about being attached to that. Okay. So. True vines attached to the root. Okay. And the, the false vine is attached to what? <coughs> how about how about the prince of this world <coughs> right so you're talking about the source so if the if the root if the you know, the core is god and that is what grows out of god then the false would be that which grows out of the deceiver right who might be a weed, you know, if, if Satan could come as a wolf in sheep's clothing, then he could come as weed looking like a rose, <laughs> right? I mean, the weed and the tear. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, but, but the goal is deception. The goal is misleading. The goal is to lie. And again, we choose who we link ourselves up with, who we get our nourishment from, who we get our instruction from. Remember, Jesus has already identified the crowd. You're children of the, of the devil, right? Your, your lineages, your, your DNA, <laughs> right, is that of the devil because you've chosen to do that. So what Jesus is talking about now as we get into verse 2, 
He, he, he says the evidence of that is, is the fruit which, which you are attached to. The true vine or the false vine. The false vine is going to give really, really bad fruit. You know, sour grapes. <laughs> right? You know, rotten, rotten fruit. So, Jesus distinguishes between vines that bear fruit and those that don't. So, next question. What is required to be a fruit-bearing vine? Branch. What, what do we have to do to be classified as fruit-bearing? <coughs> Attached to the vine. That's what Jesus says, right? In other words, you know, he says you can cut yourself off. What happens when you cut yourself off? You die. Lay on the ground and die, right? You have no more nourishment, no more sustenance coming into you. Now, the good news is, as you follow along, he says if you cut yourself off, you can re we can graft you back on if you want. You can cut yourself off again, and then we can regraft you back on again. But laying on the ground dead, you don't want that to go on very long because things could happen. You could actually die, die, or I could come back again. And you don't know either when that's going to happen. So you want to make sure you're attached at, 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 at all times. So when you stay attached to Jesus, you know, terms Jesus has already used is, you know, keep my words, hold on to my words, he says. Obey my words. You know, terms like that. So, you know, he makes it very clear as to what we're supposed to do. Now he expects us to do it. But again, it's our choice. We can choose to detach ourselves. And then he starts talking about you know the the gardener pruning. What what is pruning? Cutting back. Cutting back. You mean cutting stuff off makes it better? That makes no sense. How does that work? Makes it stronger. How? Well, it doesn't take as much <coughs> strength. It, it takes a smaller amount of strength to do this than it does to do this. So it's concentrated. Aha. Uh -huh. Good description. <coughs> So, the gardener, <coughs> Jesus is going to come along and make sure that we are as strong as we can be. All right, go back to the last chapter about the Holy Spirit, right? That we can maximize the power available to us. So, Jesus is going to prune us. Now, that's a cutting off of stuff. Is Jesus going to cut good stuff out of us? Is he going to cut love out of us? He's going to cut out of us what he doesn't want us to have uh -huh. to use. What are some examples of those things that Jesus would not want us to have? Well, uh, if we were, uh, say, a performer, and we performed in the beginning for him, but as time went on, it became for us. Here I am, look at me, I'm wonderful, uh -huh. I can do this. He'll say, no, you're not going to do that. That can be taken away. We'll put you over here where you stay tuned in right. I think in a general category, we call that pride. Yes. Right? So we know pride's definitely anti what Jesus is all about. So if we have that, cut, cut that out. Now, Paul, I think, suffered from that. Um, in the conversation he describes he has with, with, with Jesus about uh, the thorn in his flesh, which seems that he was going blind, you know, he asked, well, I'd really like to see, but Jesus' response is, no, you get a little too cocky when you're, you're in good health, so I'm going to leave you like this. You're, you're a lot better this way. <laughs> and Paul says, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, he, I think even Paul had a tendency to do that. But, yeah, you cut that out. 
What else would, would, would Jesus want to cut out of us if, we, if we, we, we had this in our lives? Good. It says, do not worry, and upset, do not be afraid. All right, so fear yeah, is... You have to have faith enough not to be afraid. Right, so faith and fear are exact opposites. Uh, that's why John, in, in one of his letters, says perfect love drives out all fear. Right? So fear and faith cannot be cohabitating. And yeah, we, we certainly see that in the lives of individuals and, and, and whole churches. Is, you know, it's really easy to operate from a sense of, of fear. I'm afraid of doing this because it might turn out bad, as opposed to, I really sense God wants us to do this, I have no idea how it's going to happen, it is kind of scary, but we will take that step of faith none, nonetheless, and do this whatever crazy, crazy wonderful thing. Um, I, I, again, you know, the, uh, the, told, told you last week, the t church I was at, they were sitting on half a million dollars, but they did something that none of us are aware of any, any church in the conference has ever done. They were part of a three-point charge. You know, their pastor was like quarter time for like 50 years. Just a partial pastor. This church decided we're going to take those funds and we, they contacted the bishop and said, we want a full-time pastor. Not go to half-time, three-quarter time, full-time. Yeah, we're going, going all the way. <laughs> now, I mean, that's a real step of faith, right? It's going to cost money. You know, a lot more of what we've been paying. But we're going to we're going to take that step of faith and trust that that, that God is going to going to bless our efforts. And but that's just it. You know, it's so and it often does come down to money. Yeah, we won't spend this because we're afraid this might happen. That might. But that's where see you come back to prayer. Is this really what we, what you want me to do, Jesus? If you get the green light, then then do it. Good. The opposite of that is somebody that I came in contact with over the weekend. Uh, he's been praying for ten and a half years for God to show him what he's supposed to be doing. Ten and a half years. He has been listening to God and not stepping out. All the way, all along the way, there's been many, many signs of what to do. But he's still waiting. Maybe he just thinks he's being very patient. Or he's just very... Or, or he's not hearing. <laughs> or not hearing what he wants to hear, therefore, yeah, we can do that too. Jesus says, I want you to do this. No, that can't be right. <laughs> There's got to be that, that fear in there. He's, yeah. He can't make that step. He can't, he can't step out. Uh, I've just been reading. You cannot, you cannot apply... You cannot apply good judgment to a call from God. If you, if you try to think it through and make it sensible yeah. and all that, you will never do it. You will go ten and a half years and never make a step. Whenever you feel the call, then you've got to step out. You've got to step out. I, I, I had a, a guy many, many years ago who proudly came up to me and says, God has called me to full-time ministry, so I'm, I'm, I'm quitting my job and going, going to seminary. Well, when are you going to do that? Well, probably five years. I'm going to wait five years till I get my finances in order and do all of what? <laughs> you know, and as far as I know, he never did it. He never got to a point of realizing my finances are in proper order that I can do this. Therefore, never, ever, ever did it. 
I got the call to go to ministry, and I was stupid enough to, okay. <laughs> but I remember having that conversation with God. I mean, you know. I mean, just got married. I got no money. We got no job. We got nothing. I got just enough money to get us from, from, from Hollingsburg out to D Dayton, Ohio. I can use some help. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, <clears throat> you know, got jobs since since we hit town. Um financial aid, whatever, and walked out of seminary debt-free and had a new car and everything. So, how's that happen? That just, it's ridiculous. It, it just, it's crazy, but yeah. So yeah, when you're, you get the call, you just, you do whatever you're told. And, I mean, look at the Old Testament stories. I mean, look at those guys are asked to do. Gideon, take 300 troops against 30,000 others, and you won't lose a man. <laughs> now, you know, I would have really, <laughs> I'd have thrown down a few more fleeces before <laughs> You know, I mean, come on, that's the most ridiculous war scene I've ever seen in my life. But sure enough, that's what happened. Walk around Jericho. Yeah, yeah, horn. seven days. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's tooting your own horn, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it just, but that's that's the difference between, it's a really good point. The difference between faith and fear is, I mean, you couldn't get two concepts further, further apart. They're not kind of the same, they are exact opposites. So, and what I'm saying is, all of us operate from one premise or the other, from faith or fear. And what, what, what degrades and cripples churches is, we think that we need, we need like 50-50. 50% -50. 50 fear and 50% faith. That, that makes sense, you know. I mean, we're cautious, we're, yeah, we're going to really analyze this and look at this and make sure this makes sense on paper, you know, the logic, right? But... When God says, this is what I want, want you to do, then he's going to make it possible for it to happen. So you push fear by the wayside, and you just go by faith. And I've just seen that happen so many times. Just, I don't know any other way to think. Because it, it always works out great that way. Always, always, always. So do you think other things Jesus would want to cut out of us? Pride, fear, selfishness. Selfishness. Um, I mean, think of some of those negative biblical words. Um, a, a divisive spirit. A person is never really, really happy with how things are going on, and always, you know, gossiping behind the scenes and trying to create, stir up uh, some some controversy. You know, oh, you really don't want to do that. Yeah, this church I was at, we 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 had a person like that at one of the meetings. And then, of course, gets mad and leaves. Oh, oh well, that's what God wants us to do. We're going to keep going, right? So, it just so yeah. I mean, just the, the most of those things He would cut out of us are are attitudes, bad attitudes, uh, hopelessness. Right? I mean, that's what all this is about. Is hope? I got this. So, have faith in that, which produces hope. Christianity is really the only religion that offers hope. You look at all the other religions, and yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of Christians think, "Oh no, we can never look at other religions because we we might like them." No, look at them; you'll laugh your head off. Hindu, over thirty thousand gods, you get to pick whatever ones you want, and you're reincarnated. The best thing that can happen to you is you come back as a cow. It's just insanity when, when you look at what, what these other religions believe, including Judaism. 
Best thing that can happen is I can have a son and he'll carry on my name. Whoop-dee-doo. <laughs> That's it? You want me to live this way just so I could get that? That makes no sense at all. It's hopeless. It just, it's blah. Verses 3 and 4. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that we must remain attached to him. So this isn't one of those things like you, you, know, you get gas in your car. You put gas in, you can drive you know, 350, 400 miles or 450 maybe if you're really economical, but you've got to go back and get more gas. So that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you attached to this, this pump all the time, constantly. It's a mobile pump. But if we choose to separate ourselves, if we choose to go it alone, the promise is we will fail. Remember what Jesus said, the only way you get to the Father is through me. So if we cut ourselves off from him and try to do it any other way, if that is the only way, then any other way we choose will result in disaster and failure. And to that, Jesus says, you were already clean. Now again, before the crucifixion. Jesus is saying that he's already trimmed away the dead branches and pruned so that the maximum fruit will be realized in these disciples. But it's obvious they don't get it yet. But Jesus said the work is already done, right? The victory is done before the crucifixion. You're already clean, guys. So in other words, again, that's, that, that's a faithful statement. Have faith. You don't see it. You're sitting there scratching your head and you're asking a lot of really stupid questions, right? But it's coming. You're going to get it. Relax. Have faith in that. I'm telling you now so that you will know it later when it, when it actually happens. So keep in mind that Jesus has already taught us that he is the good shepherd. And if we choose to run away from him, then we're subject to all kinds of dangers. So you're a little sheep and you'd go wander through the dark, scary woods with lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, that's your choice. Because you could have chosen to stay with the flock. You could have chosen to allow the good shepherd to, to guide you to, to, to uh, uh, the, the, the cool running water you know, to, and protect you when the, when the enemy comes, uh, take, take you where all the good grass is. You know, that's a shepherd's job. But that's faith. I trust this shepherd to take me and, and do those things for me. Verse 5. In fact, we can do nothing without Jesus. So fruit bearing is not a test. Fruit bearing is the byproduct of having passed all the other tests. But fruit bearing is the result of our relationship with Jesus. That's throughout all the Bible, that's what when you see fruit, that's what it is. So the life of Jesus flowing through us will lead to fruitfulness. So if we've allowed Jesus to be within us. Jesus knocking at the door of our heart. If we've opened up that door and we invited him in, he says, he will, he will be with us. He will hang out with us. He'll have supper with us. Then fruit is that external evidence of the internal relationship we have with Jesus. Bear fruit. So in other words, don't keep it all inside of you. Allow that relationship to grow out of you. And that's where Jesus talks about, you know, you are the light of the world. He says, he's the light of the world. And then he says, we are the light of the world. So when we bring his light into us, then we simply shine for him. So it's not, uh, Judy would say, it's not our light. 
It's Jesus' light. That's what you're seeing. Just the same as Jesus is always pointing to the Father, we always point to Jesus. <coughs> Verse 7. Again, the emphasis of the need to stay attached to Jesus. His words must remain in us. So again, relationship. You've got to understand his word and keep it in your life. And in so doing, then obey it, live by it. Verse 8. The purpose is that we bear fruit by remaining faithful to Jesus. And in so doing, we bring glory to the Father. So Jesus' presence in our lives now helps us to do what Jesus himself was doing, bringing glory to the Father. That's what Jesus is all about. Verses 10 and 11, no big surprise, it's all about the obeying. Man, does that word come up a lot. <laughs> Obey Jesus' commands, and that is the evidence that we remain in his love. So the fruit bearing we're talking about is that others can see that we are the product of truth. Being attached to Jesus means that we get all that truth. The next chapter is actually going to say that. In this relationship we have now with the Holy Spirit, we have all truth, not just partial truth. Not just truth that, well, you start off slow and you keep building on it. I mean, boom, you get it all. But that's only because we remain attached to the vine. As soon as we cut ourselves off, we have no, no truth at all in us. Because now, we're, we're trying to be attached to the devil. So obey Jesus' commands, and that now is the sign of the true and right relationship. Verse 11, look at that. Stay attached to the vine, and we are the ones who benefit. So this is all for our benefit. Joy will be ours when we obey. Joy is a good thing, right? You get that when you obey. Try and do it on your own. It's a disaster. Now, verses 12 and 17, Jesus says the same thing. Again, reminding us of the command to love. Are you getting a sense love is important? Or is it just me? Right? I mean, it keeps coming back to that. Verse 14. To be a friend of Jesus means that we must choose to obey what he tells us to do. Now, that's a little different than friendships we have here on earth, is it not? Friendships on earth are not defined by, you know, Jim tells me what to do and I'll say, okay, 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 I'll do that. Right? So, it's a different kind of relationship. But you see, Jesus is God, therefore we will listen to what he says and we will obey that because we understand it's the best thing. So if Jim tells me to do something, I'll consider it, but I might tell him to go jump in a lake. But when Jesus tells us to do something, we obey that. Verse 16. Now, Jesus talks about fruit that will last. That's, that's his heart's desire for us. How long does this fruit last? Forever. So, there's some scattered thoughts about, uh, uh, you know, we get a crown when we get to heaven, and uh, we take our crowns off and place them before the, 
the, the, the throne of God, I'm kind of concluding that the, the crown, we're going to look like Carmen Miranda. Remember Carmen Miranda had, to, had the big fruit hat? <laughs> we're going to have a hat full of fruit. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Who knows? Now, Jesus talks quite a bit about being persecuted. He's going to in this chapter and the next. Because he wants it clearly understood that following Jesus means that, again, I want you to know this up front, he says, you will be persecuted. If you, are produce, if you have this good relationship with me, if you're obeying what I tell you to do, it will be in such stark contrast to the culture around you that it will result in persecution. But he also promises that we're not going to be alone in the midst of that persecution. And go back to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? Got the millions of people out on the, the, the plane, you know, bowing down before a 90-foot statue. When the horns blow, everybody's got to do it. Well, when you got millions of people bowing down, the three guys still standing, I mean, you're kind of a sore thumb. It's not like you're, you're you, you know, you get away with this. And so they grab them and bring them before King Nebi. And, you know, King Nebi likes these guys. Said, Come on, I told you. you know, when the horn blows, bow down. You, I, I'm going to give you another chance. Will you do it? Nope. Well, I've got no choice. Got to throw you into the fire. That's what I said I was going to do. So, I mean, comical scene. He picks, picks his biggest, strongest guards. Binds up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they stoke the fire so hot that when the guards open it, the, the, the heat blast comes out and kills them. <laughs> But not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they fall into the furnace. But I won't leave you alone. There's a fourth guy there. Seems clear that's Jesus. Jesus makes a cameo appearance in the Old Testament. <laughs> right? And because even King Nebi looks in there and says, that's, that's the son of man. You don't hear that again until the New Testament, right? I said, well, bring them out. And they come out, and remember, not even the, the hem of their garment is singed. They don't smell like smoke. There's no effect of fire whatsoever upon them. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, you guys got it. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. So we're not alone, ever. So as Jesus' friends, we're promised that we will experience the same thing Jesus did. You see, if, when we welcome him into our lives, it means that we welcome what Jesus went through. And that was, he was persecuted. I mean, the crowds have tried to stone him, arrest him, the whole nine yards. It might well happen to us. Verse 22. This to me sounds a, a, a lot like Paul. So why does Jesus say that they have no excuse for their sin? Okay, so there's already the teaching. Judy, you want to weigh in on this? Um, H. <laughs> Your basic HS? <laughs> right? You see? See how it works? And that, because that's exactly what Paul says then in, in Romans 1. Everyone knows this. Therefore, there is no excuse. You can't say, I, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, you did. You just chose to cut yourself off from the vine. 
Paul goes as far as to say that since they have the full knowledge that they're sinning, they not only do know what they're doing is wrong, they know what the consequence will be. They know that they're going to wind up in hell, but they continue to do it. And, Paul says, teach others to do it. In other words, lead others to hell. Now, does that not sound like a strong-willed child? And your kids been like that? I mean, just, just adamantly defying everything. You tell them to do something, they'll do the exact opposite. All right, there, there, many families ha have one. <laughs> the others are, are great, but you know, there's always that one that just, you know, is going to fight you tooth and nail the, and it, it just and wants to explain everything to be explained to them why this is, yeah, you know, it just, that's the mentality. And unfortunately, apparently, a lot of these strong-willed kids never grow up. <laughs> they stay that way their entire lives. And again, that's why those weeping and gnashing of teeth in, in, in hell because they are so mad that... I, what, my will wasn't strong enough to, to supersede Jesus's. So basically, Jesus is saying that I've declared the truth to you. You've seen all these miracles, and yet you still reject it. Therefore, Jesus pronounces their guilt. Now, that's not judgment in the sense of because they still have a chance to repent and, and, and change, but the way you are right now, he pronounces guilt. In other words, if you remain this way, then you're going you're to be eternally separated from me. Verse 26. Again, Jesus promises that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will take on a new and expanded influence in our lives. The Counselor is ours. He's going to testify about me to you, that you will know this truth. And since we get that testimony, look at the end of that, verse 27, then we also give the testimony. We receive the truth, we share the truth. So again, we don't make anything up. It's simply sharing what we know, knowledge. I know this, therefore I believe it is the truth, and I will share it with you. You do whatever you want with it. But my job is to share the truth with you. So that's where that whole concept of, you know, we're ambassadors of Christ. You know, we are sent in the name of Jesus. It also has a, a, a clear message of the church is the physical body of Jesus. Because Jesus is no longer here. But Jesus is in us. And when we form together and do what Jesus would do, we become the testimony for Jesus. We volunteer to do that. We want to do that. We see the wisdom in, in doing that. And there goes chapter 15. What are the thoughts and expressions do you have in chapter 15? <coughs> Back at the beginning when it's, we, we talked about the vine, the true vine, mm -hmm. uh, do we also feel that the false vine is from the devil mm -hmm. and he does the same thing as the true vine? Only the on the opposite end. Yeah, makes it look very similar. Yeah. Because again, you know, if if pure evil comes up to you, you're going to say, "Well, that, I know that's not right," but it comes in a form that, well, it's not so bad. And that's why you know we we have some religions that we call cults because they have portions of the truth in them, but they warp it and twist all the rest of it and make it to their own ends and just make it absolutely bizarre. So. Yeah, if you're Mormon, you get you get your own planet. Where's that? 
you know, I, Jesus doesn't say, I go, 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 go and prepare many planets for you. <laughs> I prepare a room for you that we can all still be together. So it's just, you know, when you take it and twist it, you take, take the essential truth and then start to mold it, shape it, and bend it a little bit. By the end, it just turns into something completely wacky. So, but that's, yes, that's the devil's leading. Children of the devil, that's what they do. They're very good at, at, at lies and deception. Do you think the devil could use common sense against us? Get sure. Them? Make us think that we're really smart. And yeah, because that's jumping off of what Jim said. Yeah. A leap of faith sometimes leaves common sense behind. Mm-hmm. So you could not take a leap because you think you're using right. common sense. That's, that's tough. But by the same token, common sense might, might be yeah. just the simple realization... What I know of the Holy Spirit, this this is okay. common sense of what the Holy Spirit would lead me to do. Okay. So yeah, yes, so okay. there's got to be that sense of discernment as to what the source is. Yes, and a, a lot of people describe that too. When when I pray, I, I'm having trouble determining if that's my voice, if it's the devil's voice, or it's God's voice, <laughs> right? So, but you, but then that's where you then verify in Scripture what what you're hearing. Yes. So there's always there, there's always a corroboration here. So and. You know, next chapter, that's going to be abundantly clear. The, the, two, the two things we have are the Word and the Holy Spirit. The two, the two sources of truth that verify each other, that say the same thing, and will not let us go astray. So that's you know, a great gift given to us. Again, if we'll take advantage of it. What else are you thinking? I was wondering what each person in here feels they experience as persecution because they're believers. I don't feel persecution, so it makes me feel that I am not maybe doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, persecution comes in many forms. Um, Certainly no one is at this point in history at least, is trying to arrest us and kill us because of our faith. Yeah, they certainly did in the early church, but you know, we don't have that. But persecution, I mean, it's filtered throughout the New Testament, and even Jesus describes it in the Beatitudes, is you know, somebody who, who disagrees and challenges the truth. That, refuse, you know, that gets in your face and argues and tries to make you look bad yeah, you know, Christians are all a bunch of weak people who need, you know, Jesus is a crutch and, you know, the, those kind of things. I mean, that's, that's persecution. So uh, what I'm saying is most of the persecution we experience is verbal. I understand. Is, I understand. Yeah, is, is controversy, is uh, challenging, is, uh, um, you know, I mean, with, I mean, a lot of hot button topics out there today. When you're in whatever group and something comes up, you know, politically, socially, whatever, and... You share what you believe to be the truth of Scripture, and the others, you know, start making fun of you and everything. That's 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 persecution. I understand. So again, yeah, you have you have your opportunity for testimony of the truth, and when you take advantage of that, often you will get the the, the opposing force. Yeah. Well, it just seems the circles I travel in, I don't find that very much. Uh, I was wondering about about personally if you could call it persecution, as we deal with the conflict in ourselves between, mm. between the right decision and the wrong mm-hmm. decision. 
uh, we all we all face that every day. We we're faced with the with the choices. Paul Paul, Paul describes that. You know the the good I know I should do I don't I don't do yeah. and the bad I should yeah. do is what I find myself doing more often. Yeah, yeah yeah. So it's a it's an internal struggle as well. But that's that's because you know of the worldly influence that yes. continues to. Yeah. We are facing um, those pressures yep, all the time. Yep, absolutely. <coughs> yep. I have a couple family members or friends that I could share with you, Jim, if it make you feel better. Yeah, really. I was going to say we got to we got to find, find find Jim some heathens. anybody anybody have a heathen you want to share? <laughs> let's let's all give them one. <laughs> I will need a biography first. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, that's oh. pretty good. <laughs> Any other thoughts in 15? Well, good stuff. There's a good place to start. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.